Hi, and welcome to The Caption Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I am your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels has to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals to roundtable discussions with passionate fans and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can find me on social media under the username at Caption Life. You can also find more episodes and information at thecapsonlife.com. San Diego Comic-Con just wrapped up over the weekend. It's known as the event for fans of comic books across the globe. A lot happens here at this convention. One of the things that Comic-Con is known for is presenting the Eisner Awards, which is the comic book equivalent of the Oscars, Emmys, Grammys. And they presented that on Friday, July 21st, and they announced this year's winners. And joining me on the show today to talk about the Eisner Awards nominees and winners is Seth Romo. Seth is a lifelong fan of comic books and believes there is a comic out there for everyone. He writes for Comic Watch, shares his comic book commentary on Substack, and does his best to get through his ever-growing comic book to read pile. Who isn't? <laughs> his current goal is to read every issue of Detective Comics, starting with issue number 27. He's a husband, a new dad, pet parent, and a so-so toy photographer. Seth, welcome back to the show. This is not your first time on The Caption Life, but I'm excited to have you on to talk about the Eisner Awards. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. Uh, yeah. Second time being on the show and, and excited to talk about the Eisner Award winners and also the nominees. It was a it was a great uh, list of you know people nominated this year. Yeah, were you following along the Eisner winners when they were being announced by chance? I'm just kind of curious about that. Uh, I was refreshing my Instagram feed and I follow a lot of the people who did win, <laughs> and so it was kind of fun to see them post you know, on their stories mm-hmm. or on their Instagrams, you know, with their awards and everything. So yeah, I was I was doing my best to follow it. Uh, you know, as best as I could. How about yourself? Yeah. So this, um, you know, what's interesting is this year was probably the first year that I really follow along in real time. I think the last few years um, when I heard about the Eisner Award winners, I think I kind of just waited until the next day to see who is all, um, you know, announced as the winners and everything. But this year is the first year. And it was interesting. I use Twitter because that's where a lot of people do, you know, live time announcements and stuff like that, um, especially for, you know, awards and and. Um, events and conventions and and such and such and for this one i looked up i think eisner's and eisner awards hashtags and not a lot of people were using them so i think there are some accounts i've heard people said that they were following that was going to do um live tweeting on the announcement of winners and the main one i actually followed that seemed to be really consistent um that were there at the ceremony is a uh, another podcast called uh comic book couples counseling which is a great podcast by the way if you haven't uh listened to their podcast i highly recommend them they're uh, they're a married couple that does a lot of great things and talks about comic books from a lot of different kinds of perspectives and lens and stuff like that. But they were at the award ceremony and were live tweeting. And so that's how I was finding out about who won. Um, but it was really interesting just to kind of see how they went through that category or how they went through the categories and the process and everything, because they kind of did, I think like the first third and then they, it seemed like they did like a little bit of break and they were announced like some other winners or something like that. And so it was kind of really interesting to see how they organize who they're announcing for the winners. It's kind of like, you know, when you think about the Oscars, how they always save like, you know, the best picture for last and things like that. Um, they started off with like best writer, which yeah. I, I don't know like what would be the best picture equivalent of the Emmys, but I wouldn't have thought that the best writer would have been the thing they would have started off with either. So it was really interesting. Yeah, they, they definitely uh, kicked it off pretty quick with that. I was surprised because 
when I was still following along, um, cause on my time zone, it looked like it was going almost till midnight. Um, cause they're obviously on yes. Pacific time. So I was like, wow, this is really long. And I was like, well, you know, they already, like you said, they already announced best writers. So I'm like, it's still exciting to see everybody else, but yeah, it's kind of like telling everybody best picture first. And then, you know, saying who won best sound design later. And you're just like, all right, it's still, yeah. it's still important. <laughs> right. I will give them credit yeah. for it, but you know, it kind of takes away that shock and awe of it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I was, and it was, again, it was interesting because I wasn't quite sure I wasn't going off on a checklist and checking off, you know, the ones they've already announced. So I didn't know when they were actually finished um, because there are some times where they were announcing them, you know, back to back pretty quickly. And then there would be a gap. I was like, Oh, maybe they're done. And then I would see people tweeting it up again. I was like, all right, maybe they're not done. So it was, yeah, it was really interesting to see that. So I'm hoping that, you know, if we go in the future, it would be really cool to kind of get into the ceremony and see how that goes and, and kind of get, you know, a little bit insider view of, you know, how that um, is done um, for the ceremony. So, um, so before we get into talking about who, who won the Eisner Awards? Uh, let's talk about San Diego Comic Con a little bit. Um, so, first of all, as many of you know, the WGA and SAG After Strike is going on, which is the reason why a lot of the studios like Warner Brothers and Marvel Studios were not in attendance to San Diego Comic Con this year. Um, San Diego Comic-Con is not exclusive about the movies that are based on comic book, but that is a big draw. That's why a lot of people tune into it that are not, you know, mo- that are more like general pop uh, popular fans of the medium of movies rather than the comic books. So this year was a little bit different because we didn't have the Hall H announcements that we usually have every year. Um, so this seemed like if you went into attendance this year, that you really got a lot more of the comic book focused news and content and and interactions than you would in previous years because it always kind of got dwarfed over uh, the uh, studio's announcement and stuff like that. But because of the strike, none of the uh, studios were in attendance. And honestly, I'm okay with that because one, I think it should be, if it's a Comic-Con, it should be focused about comics. But two, I think everyone can agree that what the WGA and SAG-AFTRA is striking um, for is important, that they need to have fair pay that's long overdue, that the studios are definitely taking advantage of that. And so I think everyone you know, is well appreciative of the fact that you know they're not attending because you know the strike that's going on and that, you know, they need to get their fair pay and that the studios really need to do a better job of how they compensate their actors and their writers for these things. So, um, Seth, do you have any other thoughts about, you know, the the lack of the studio's attendance there and the strike that's going on that's impacted the San Diego Comic-Con? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you, you know, that the strike is important, um, not just for fair wages, but also, you know, removing any ability for AI to write scripts or, you know, Yes. create background actors and have, you know, ownership of likeness for only one day's worth of pay. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's funny, last time you and I talked about chat GPT because it was kind of still kicking off. And, you know, even yeah. then you, you, you brought up the <laughs> review of the many deaths of Layla Star and it was atrocious, right? And, you know, yeah. it's, it isn't whether or not AI could do the work. It's obviously like, you know, when it comes to television, movies, books, comics, everything. I mean, it really is about the human experience. So you really should have humans being the ones creating those stories, you know, acting out those scenes and everything. So yeah, I I, I totally Mm -hmm. agree with you, you know, that the strike is important. Um, But I also think it it gave a lot of 
attendees at, at Comic-Con this year to really appreciate kind of a lot of the source material where these blockbuster films mm-hmm. come from. So, you know, it was a great time to be a comic book fan at comic, uh, Comic-Con, but also a bad time to be a movie fan. Um, but I think a lot right. of, you know, comic book fans can kind of understand and appreciate, you know, the importance of the strike. So, yeah, hopefully they, they have a, a great resolution to it because it's, it's very important. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and we all agree, uh, you know, here on the Caption Life and also on Comic Watch, we talked about this, that as well, too, that it's very important to make sure that, you know, they're fairly represented, that they're fairly paid and, you know, that they're not getting replaced by AI or other, you know, um, other unfair and honestly, like, you know, disingenuous, like, you know, shitty ways to try to replace writers and actors by doing something like that. So the thing that you brought up is how they had proposed hiring an actor as a uh, four day as a background actor. And I, I think like the pay would be like 150 bucks or something yeah. like that for a day's work. And then they would have AI pretty much fill them in into uh, any sort of background work for a movie, pretty much for life or eternity at that point, yeah. uh, which is really concerning and really problematic. And a lot of people pointed out how the actor who played Zordon in the original Power Rangers show, that's exactly what happened to him. They brought him in for one day, mm-hmm. shot him, you know, doing different, you know, poses and voices and stuff like that and then throughout the whole series of the original Power Rangers they pretty much used the same footage over and over again but he only got paid for the one day that he did of that work he never saw any residuals or anything like that and that's kind of what they're wanting to do here but on a wider scale and so I think you know these are conversations that are definitely needed are definitely overdue to talk about what is this place of us as humans in this world of AI and like what are those roles or what are some things that can be replaced that can't be replaced and how to fairly compensate people and how to treat people as humans first and not just a commodity or, you know, something to, you know, as a product at, you know, by the end of the day. So exactly. Um, yeah. So with that being said, you know, strike aside and all that, there were a lot of exciting news that came out from Comic-Con that was really focused on the comics. Seth, was there anything that was announced over the weekend that got you really excited about what we're going to be expecting to uh, come from the comic book publishers this year? Um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing that I'm really excited about there's that's comic book related was actually there were a lot of toy announcements. Um, toys are mm-hmm. still a very big part of Comic-Con. Um, And I think what's great is that there was a lot of different great, I guess, kind of, you know, prototype figures that were put there, um, you know, Mm -hmm. for fans to see that you're not really going to see, you know, in stores or available online for at least another year or two. Um, Right. So I think for me, the biggest comic book announcements that I really appreciated was obviously the Eisner Awards, but comic book related Mm -hmm. were the the toy announcements. Those are always very exciting. And and I got to start, you know financially preparing for those because uh my my wallet's not happy when it sees that (laughs) yeah and and you're not the only one in that boat i know a lot of people are talking about how excited they were about some of the announcements they made with toys i think um you know the biggest one that i saw that a lot of people were excited about were the x-men uh i think 97 is how they're branding it the x-men 97 toys Mm -hmm. um a lot of people were excited about that um i know for me personally 
if you know me, I'm a huge Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, mm-hmm. and I love The Last Ronin. And Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz, who wrote that series, announced with IDW that they are going to be doing a new series called The Last Ronin 2 Re-Evolution, which is going to be a continuation of that story, but with the new Ninja Turtles that were introduced at the final issue of The Last Ronin um, original series as well, too. So I'm really excited about that. That's actually supposed to be coming out, I believe, in December or later on this year. So that was the biggest news that came out that I was really excited about that I thought would be uh, really great um, to share with everybody that, you know, that is a series that I would highly recommend people check out because The Last Known was fantastic. Uh, the Last Known Lost Years is currently going on is also fantastic. It tells the story of the four new turtles, but also kind of does some fill in of the story of The Last Known with Michelangelo, uh, you know, before that story happened. So it's a fantastic series. So all the things that they're doing right now, in my opinion, has been really great. So I'm really looking forward to that series yeah and i know you're a daredevil fan they announced a new daredevil figure as well you know with the beard yes, and everything I, so <laughs> yeah. yeah it's yeah it's it's you know based on the current run mm-hmm. and i mean that i i gotta tell you that outfit and the comics that they introduced at first i wasn't like the biggest fan of it i thought it looked a little odd mm-hmm. But the more I, I read uh, the comics and saw the art and the issues that the costume was uh, associated with, I absolutely loved it. I thought it made a lot of sense. It was something that, like, I thought it was baggy at first, but then it kind of makes sense, like, why it was baggy. It's just more be able to kind of do more free-flowing type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that they are making a toy based on that. I'm not a toy collector. Like, I collect Funko Pops and comics. I don't really collect toys a whole lot. So it's like, as cool as that is, I don't know if I'll actually get that. But if I was going to get something, that would definitely be it for sure. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Um, well, last thing that I want to touch on before we get into the Eisner uh, Award winners is this year was riddled with controversy with the Eisner nominations. And if you haven't heard about this uh, prior to the awards over the weekend, uh, one of the people that was uh, nominated, and I forget which category it was, but it was someone named Thomas Woodruff. And most people probably didn't know who this person was. But after that announcement, a lot of people in the comics industry went to social media to talk about this person. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, the book that was nominated that he wrote um, is a book called Francis Rothbart, The Tale of a Fastidious Feral. Um, and a lot of people took issue to it because they, I, again, I haven't read it, so I can't say for certainty, but this is what people were saying about it, is that there's a lot of racist overtones and implications of um, white saviorism that was in the book and things like that. So a lot of people had issues with the book being nominated to begin with, but then had a lot of people coming up uh, speaking against the person. So if you don't know who this person is, he's actually a retired faculty member out of New York. I think the visual, like the visual arts of New York's uh, university, something like that. And a lot of his former students have said that he has openly spoken about how comics is a lesser medium of art. And so he, you know, would bash comics any chance he gets. And I guess he's done some controversial artwork as well too like one of the ones i read that i thought was really weird which you know politics aside whatever you think about this i you know it's odd to begin with but i guess he did a portrait of donald trump using feces and people thought it was weird like even if you know no matter what you thought about trump like that was kind of like a weird take on that sort of thing and so um but 
bottom line is that he, I guess he treated people, you know, very unfairly treated people very poorly and thought comics as a medium was something that was really beneath, you know, actual art. And so for him to be nominated once weird that he kind of put himself out to be nominated for Eisner's, but for him to get the nomination, a lot of people spoke out against that. And so I guess the Eisner, uh, award Academy or award committee, you know, whatever they call themselves, I guess they actually moved that nomination, um, in response to what everybody was saying about that person as well too so um seth i know you said you, you didn't really know much about that controversy before coming on the show tonight is that right yeah i, I had looked it up you know before we before we started this episode um you know mm-hmm. I, I did kind of look up more about the comic he made and yeah i mean on on initial kind of preview images it's it's pretty obvious there's some you know problematic art problematic themes um and mm-hmm. i also had read up on you know his students saying that he just you know wasn't kind of the best person and and i also read that you know he he wasn't the best in the way he treated his students either um right so you know there's just you know if if, when you think about awards they're really supposed to highlight kind of the best of what people are putting into an industry you know the whole purpose is to move an industry forward highlight those who are you know doing a good job you know pushing the envelope in a positive way as opposed to you know kind of moving a medium back you know, um, and so I'm, right. I'm glad they at least removed him because I do feel like that that was a wise move to remove him. I'm not sure why they kind of agreed with nominating him. Um, but, you know, at, at a very minimum, if they removed him, I think that was for the best for sure. Right. Yeah. It, and it'd be interesting to see what that nomination process is like and how they make those determinations. Cause as we go through the winners and the categories in this episode, I think we can agree that there are some that we thought like, we didn't know why they would actually nominate to begin with based on what we're reading there. And so it'd be interesting to see how that nomination process works. I don't know if they'll ever actually share that publicly or anything like that, but I think the more like these things come out, I think, you know, there's going to be a little bit more transparency on what they do and, and how they do these certain things, especially after, you know, what happened here and all that, probably not fully transparent but i my guess is they'll probably um you know kind of do this a little bit more rigidly with their nominations than what they did this year so for sure yeah so with that being said so that was a little bit of a recap of san diego comic-con and you know the eisner awards pre-award ceremony so let's dive in to the categories of the eisners and the winners so if you're interested in knowing the full list of the categories and winners with the nominees i will put a link in the show notes below to article from comic watch that lists all the categories the winners and nominees for this episode we're just going to list the categories and winners very quickly because we want to recognize and congratulate all those who are winners if we did all the nominees this would be a very very long episode so we're still going to uh, link that and we're going to do some deep dive into some of these other categories as well too but for the purpose of time and uh, for our listeners we're just going to dive into the categories and the people who won so starting off with best writer the winner was James Tinney in the fourth um, who was nominated for a number of works like House of Slaughter Something is Killing the Children Wind from Boom Studios uh, The Nice House on the Lake The Salmon Universe and the closet and department of truth uh best writer slash artist was kate beaton for ducks to two years in the oil sands uh from drawn and quarterly best penciler inker or penciler inker team went to greg smallwood for the human target from dc comics best cover artist for multiple covers the winner is bruno redondo for nightwing from dc comics best coloring the winner is jordi belair the nice house on the lake suicide squad blaze uh ant-man a miracle man 
Man by Guyman and Buckingham and the Silver Age from Marvel. Best lettering, the winner is Stan Sakai for Usagi Yojimbo from IDW. Best web comic is Lore Olympus by Rachel Smythe. Uh, best digital comic is Barnstormers by Scott Snyder and Tula Latoy for uh, from comics. Uh, I'm sorry, from Comicsology Originals. Uh, Behind the Curtain by Sarah Delguducci. Uh, I'm p- sorry if I mispronounce that. Uh, translation by M.B. Valente for Europe Comics. Best short story, the winner is Finding Batman by Kevin Conroy and Jay Bone in DC Pride 2022. Best single issue of one shot is Batman One Bad Day with Riddler by Tom King and Mitch Jarrods from DC Comics. Best continuing series is Nightwing by Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo from DC Comics. Best limited series is The Human Target by Tom King and Greg Smallwood, also from DC Comics. Uh, best new series is Public Domain by Chip Zdarsky from Image Comics. Best publication for early readers up to age eight is The Pigeon Will Ride the Roller Coaster by Mo Willems from Union Square Kids. Best publication for kids ages nine through 12 is Frizzy by Clarabel A. Ortega and Rose um, Basamra. I apologize if I mispronounce that from uh, publisher First Second Macmillan. And then best publication for teens ages 13 to 17. Winner is Do a Powerbomb by Daniel Warren Johnson from Image Comics. And then after that, you have Best Humor Publication, which is Revenge of the Librarians by Tom Gold, drawn in quarterly. Then there was Best Anthology. The winner was The Nib Magazine, edited by Matt Norbs. Following that was Best Reality-Based Work. Uh, the winner was Flung Out of Space by Grace Ellis and Hannah Templer from Abrams Comic Arts. Best Graphic Memoir went to Ducks, Two Years in the Oil Sands by Kate Beaton. Best Graphic Album, new, was The Night Eaters, Book One, She Eats the Night by Marjorie Liu and Sanaa Takeda. Best Graphic Album reprint was Parker, the Martini Edition, Last Call by Richard Stark, Darwin Cook, Ed Brubaker, and Sean Phillips. Following that was Best Adaptation from Another Medium, which is Chivalry by Neil Gaiman, adapted by Colleen Doran. Best U.S. Edition of International Material, the winner was Black Sad, They Fall Down, Part 1 by Juan Diaz-Canales, Juanjo Juanilo, translation by Diana Schutz and Brandon Kander from Dark Horse. Best U.S. Edition of International Material Asia was Shuna's Journey by Heyo Maizaka, translation from Alex Dudok DeWitt. Following that is Best Archival Collection Project Strips, at least 20 years old. Come Over, Come Over, It's So Magic and My Perfect Life by Linda Berry. Next was Best Archival Collection slash Project Comic Books, Fantastic Worlds by Frank Frazetta, edited by Deanne Hansen. Best Painter slash Multimedia Artist was Sanaa Takeda again for The Night Eaters. Best Comics-Related Periodical was Panel X, X Panel Magazine, edited by Hassan Atzmain, El Haun, and Tiffany Babb. Best Comics-Related Book was Charles M. Schultz, The Art and Life of Peanuts in the 100 Objects. Best Academic Scholarly Work was the LGBTQ plus Comic Studies Reader, Critical Openings, Future Director. Best Publication Design was Parker, The Martini Edition, Last Call, designed by Sean Phillips. So quite an extensive list uh, and, and a great number of people nominated and great winners as well. 
Yes, and there were 32 categories there, and those were the main categories. We didn't even get into um, some of the other winners, like the Hall of Fame and uh, Bill Eisner winners or things like that. And so there are some other ones that we didn't list here. But congratulations to all those who were nominated, and extra congratulations to those who won that night. I know a lot of people were really excited, and a lot of them um, you know, were there in attendance, and you could tell that they were you know, really excited for this year's award for, uh, for their work and all that. So congratulations. Congratulations to everybody. Um, so let's go ahead and dive into some specific categories. And so the first five that we're going to go into were actually voted by our Patreon. So for those of you who don't know, we actually just started a Patreon for anyone that would like to have some extra bonus perks or um, anything that they would like to do to support our show. And so to take a minute, just to kind of uh, explain that a little bit. So you're probably all familiar with Patreon. It's a way to be able to um, give financial support to some of your favorite creators. And so we actually started one. We have three tiers. Uh, one is called the single issue level and it's um, the affordable one by $2 a month. And if you join that, basically you'll get a shout out on social media and on the show. Um, you'll be post your name will be posted on our website and we'll also include your name at the end of the year episode that we do. The next tier is the trade paperback level, which is all those things. Plus you get to vote on the listener's choice episode on what comic we review at the end of the month. And you'll also get a um, early access by a week for bonus episodes that we're going to do, which would be uh, creator interviews and some other things. So whenever we put out bonus episodes, you'll actually get access to that a week early before we release out to the general public. And then the top tier is the omnibus level. And basically it's all those things I just mentioned. Plus you get to nominate what books we want to put in the poll for people to vote on for what we review in the listener's choice episode. And whenever we interview comic book creators, you actually can provide questions that you want us to ask the creators and we'll make sure to ask them on in our interview for that. So if you're interested in that, I do have a link to the Patreon in the show notes that you can check out. Look at that. If you want to join, that'd be great. We're really excited to have anyone to help support us and you'll get those benefits immediately as soon as you sign up. So with that being said, we allowed our um, on the best level Patreons to vote on what winners they want us to do a deep dive on. And so the first five that we're going to talk about based on that poll is best writer, best single issues, Last one shot, best continuing series, uh, best limited series, and best new series. So let's go ahead and start off with the best writer. Um, so as we mentioned earlier, the winner was James Tinian the fourth, who wrote House of Slaughter, Something's Killing the Children, Wind, The Nice House on the Lake, Salmon Universe, Nightmare Country, The Closet, and Department of Truth, and he was up against these following nominees: Grace Ellis for Flung Out of Space, uh, Tom King for Batman Killing Time, Batman One Bad Day, Gotham City Year One, The Human Target. Love Everlasting, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. Uh, he was also up against Mark Russell, who wrote Traveling to Mars, One Star Squadron, Superman Space Age, The Inkle, and Cycleverse. And he was also up against Chip Zdarsky, Stillwater, and Daredevil. So, um, Seth, I'm going to let you talk about this a little bit, because I know you had shared that James Tinian is actually one of your favorite comics writers. So what did you think and, and what were your thoughts when you heard that James uh, won the award this year? Yeah, so... Uh James Tynan is definitely one of those writers that does a variety of different works. Um, you know, if you're going to ask somebody what does, you know, a, a monster hunter, a, you know, uh, a story <laughs> of a little elf boy figuring out his sexuality and, you know, a secret entity of the government that basically makes conspiracies happen or not happen, have in common, it's basically going to be James Tynan. 
Um, <laughs> I think one thing that, you know, I'm really glad that he won is because, you know, he does a, a variety of different works, um, all of which I think are, are worth pursuing if you're interested at all. He does tend to lean more mm-hmm. towards horror. Um, so if you're not a big horror fan, I totally understand that. But, you know, I think one right. thing I appreciate is he doesn't like to kind of stay still. Um, he's always kind of focused on his creator uh, owned works as well as, you know, he still maintains that connection with DC. I think one of the books he was also nominated or part of why he was, you know, nominated and won was um, the horror series, nice house on the lake. Um, so as a, right. as a, as a James fan, you know, I was, I was happy to see that he won. Um, he was actually the one I first saw on my Instagram feed who, who posted a story, you know, saying, Hey, I did it. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's, he's definitely one of those stellar writers who, you know, is, is being published at, you know, image DC boom studios. I mean, he's, he's kind of everywhere now. So, I mean, to me, it, right. it makes the most sense that he would win best writer mm. considering the number of different works he's doing right now. Now, let me ask a clarified question. So I think I heard you say, is his last name pronounced Tynion? So it's actually Tynion. And he... Tynion, okay. Tynion. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to call it Tynion. <laughs> and then I heard an interview yeah. with him. And he said Tynion. And he said his name looks like it's spelling Tiny Onion. So he gets... He totally <laughs> understands why people say Tynion. And actually, right. his store for all of his independent work that he does is called Tiny Onion Studios. So I think he's in on the oh, fact that nice. people call him like Tinian, <laughs> but it is Tiny. Right. Um, he just said that in an interview one time and he mentioned the Tiny Onion. And ever since then, I remember. I'll never forget because of that. Yeah. Well, in, in, you know, in the genre and the medium of comics where you don't hear things pronounced, it's always, you know, kind of a, a crapshoot in the dark of if you're pronouncing it correctly or not. Like whether it's an author's right, uh, last name, if you're pronouncing that correctly, or even, you know, a name or title or something inside the comic itself. Like, I'll say, for example, for X-Men, whenever they're talking about Krakoa, like I'm assuming I pronounced that correctly. I don't know for sure. And so it's one of those things where because the comics like you don't get to hear it pronounced unless they phonetically spell it out somewhere. And so it's always a crapshoot if you're actually pronounced that correctly. So I'll try to remember it's James Tynan, the fourth in the future. I'll probably forget it after today, but we'll see. <laughs> well, wasn't the guy in Game of Thrones, uh, Peter Dinklage, wasn't he Tyrion? Wasn't he a Tyrion? Um, I think that's I don't another. Know. I never watched that show. That, like <laughs> the, the, the Tyrians or something like that. I don't know. It was related to something like that. He was like, "Yeah, everybody." He's like, phonetically, it makes sense. And I'm like, "All right, right. I'll, I'll remember it based on that." Yeah, you know, I'll be honest. I haven't read um, any of these works that's listed for him. And I'm sure I've read one of his works. It's just not coming to my mind right now what it is. So I can't really say a whole lot on the works that's listed here. Um, but, I mean, he's one of those authors that he pops up all the time. Um, wait, did he write Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yep. So he wrote Batman versus Teenage Mutant yes. Ninja Turtles, which is awesome. Uh, I think yes. he co-wrote Batman Eternal with Scott Snyder. He definitely had okay. a run on Detective Comics. And he mm-hmm. was the most recent bigger writer on Batman, the main series, for at least a couple right. of years. So he has a lot of superhero background as well, which is cool considering that everything I listed prior was all horror and independent stuff. But yeah, he, he dabbles <laughs> in superheroes. And so I think that's, you know, that also speaks to kind of his ability to kind of move to different kind of themes and story types. Because um, both his detective comics run and the Batman run were, were really phenomenal. 
Right. Yeah. So I think that's how I remember his name was because Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I absolutely love. I thought it was a fantastic series. There's a fantastic crossover mm-hmm. that made a lot of sense. Um, I actually watched the movie before I read the comics and I absolutely love the movie in the comics. Uh, you know, the movie took liberties with it, mm-hmm. but the comics were phenomenal as well. So I think, you know, if you're a fan of any of those things, you'll like both of them and there's enough differences between the two that you'll enjoy it. Um, I mean, there's a lot of similarities for sure by all means, but there's also enough differences that it's very enjoyable to be able to watch um, the movie and read the books um, as well. And then, you know, there's volumes two and three that he wrote as well. So, yeah. So I, so I, even though I didn't read those uh, issues that he was nominated for this year, I did read that and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was fantastic. So, um, moving on to the next category, best single issue slash one shot. The winner was Batman One Bad Day, The Riddler by Tom King and Mitch Jarrods from DC Comics. And um, they were up against some other nominations, which I, I find kind of interesting, to be honest. So the other nominations were Mary Jane and Black Cat Beyond by Jed McKay and CF Villa from Marvel Comics. Uh, Moon Knight, Black, White and Blood, number three, edited by Tom uh, Brev- Brevort, I think. Mm-hmm. Of a Marvel Comics, Star Trek number four hundred, edited by Heather Antos from IDW Publishing, and a Vicious Circle book one by Mats and Tomlin and Lee Bermero uh, from Boom Studios. I gotta say, okay, best single issue one shot. This was definitely a clear winner for me because that one was a phenomenal issue. Um, it's not a single twenty four page issue like we think about. It's like a, it's truly a one shot where it's a longer book, but it's a self contained story, and it just blew everything out of the water that year in terms of uh, one shots. It was a fantastic story. It's, you know, basically taking the inspiration of the killing joke and kind of applying it to the different villains of Batman. And it focuses more on the villain themselves as opposed to Batman. But the Riddler was a fantastic story that they're really deserving of that. I just found it interesting that there is a lot of single issues and one shots out there that didn't make this list and some of these other ones did. So like I'll, and I'll, I'll say full honesty, like I never read Mary Jane and black cat beyond, but I never heard anybody talk about that issue until the nominations. And so it made me curious, like why that one got nominated, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess that's one kind of benefit to the Eisners is, you know, if there's somebody nominated and you haven't had a chance to kind of check them out, you know, this is kind of a good opportunity to kind of see what works there you know, doing or, you know, check out the one one shot. So, you know, uh, but I do agree mm-hmm. with you. The, the only one shot that I had really read from this list was uh, the Riddler one. Um, and I, I agree right. with you. That one was, was definitely a clear winner. Um, it was, it was creepy. It was dark. It was, um, <laughs> and, and I'm actually more of a, a digital reader. So I'll read on like my tablet or my phone. Um, and I right. love one thing that Tom King, and I don't, I don't know if he like pushes for it, but in a lot of the stories he's written, like in Riddler and in um, his most recent run on, I think, Miracle Man, there's kind of this emphasis on like the nine panels, which, you know, on, yes. on paper, you know, reads fun and it's like very quick. But when you're reading digitally, it just flows so well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. It was it was a phenomenal issue. And I think it was like 68 pages. So it was it was quite a read. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was it was. um, Yeah, I think you're right. It was was around 60 pages. And um, the story was phenomenal in that 
the Riddler seemed like he had the upper hand the whole time and you weren't quite sure how Batman was going to stop any of this. Mm-hmm. The artwork from Jared's was phenomenal as well because it really matched the tone of the story in terms of um, that very, very unnerving kind of feeling that you get as you're watching it. And it just, you know, some of the the strokes and the style that he put in there really match and kind of amplified that feeling you get when you're reading that story of just getting that sense of uncomfortableness from what's going on with the Riddler and what he's doing to Batman and the things that he's doing in order to get Batman's attention and what's going on. Um, and so if you haven't read the story yet, I highly recommend you read it. It's definitely a great story. It, and again, it's one of those things where you just need to know, you know, generally speaking, who Batman is and who the Riddler is that they're, ba- you know, they're hero villain. And that's really all you need to know. You don't need to know or read anything else going into it. So if you haven't read it definitely check it out it's definitely one that i think hands down no one's going to question that it's a winner you know because it was definitely well done so um next category best continuing series one uh by Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo for Nightwing. They were up against Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky and Marco Cacchetto. I think I mispronounced that name. I know I mispronounce that all the time. And uh, Raphael De La Torre. Uh, they're also up against The Department of Truth by James Tynan, the fourth, <laughs> and Martin Simons. Uh, Philadelphia by Rodney Barnes and Jason Sean Alexander. The Nice House on the Lake, again, by James Tynan mm-hmm. and Alvaro Marta- uh, Martinez Bueno. And She-Hulk by Rainbow Raul, uh, Rohe Antonio. I know I mispronounced that. I apologize. Luca Maresca and Takesha Miwa, uh, Miwazawa. Gosh, I'm so sorry. I, I did not pronounce that correctly, I'm sure. So um, those are the ones that they went up against. Um, I'll be honest. The only one that I've read on any of these lists is Daredevil. But I've heard Nightwing was phenomenal from a lot of people. Um, that's the one I keep hearing people talk about, you know, issue by issue too, not just like as a story, but people will talk about specific issues that have come out from the series and how great it was from a, a lot of different perspectives. So this one that I'm going to talk about isn't from last year for why I was nominated, but you know, this is just more the recent one where they did a, a point of view mm-hmm. uh, issue from uh, Dick Grayson as Nightwing. And so you read the comic as though you're seeing it through the eyes of Dick Grayson. And the really fun thing is they actually were able to get him to run through the uh, offices of um, Thunder Mifflin from the office show. And so, you know, that this is like a lot of fun that they do, but that's the series. I always hear people talk about issue by issue is Nightwing and just how great and how a lot of people love that series. Have you had, have you read that yet, Seth? Oh, yeah. I actually have the uh, first trade right here behind me. I see that now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I made sure to put it up for this episode. Um, I, I, I would say that, you know, like you said, all the other series are, are phenomenal. Um, I read a few issues of She-Hulk. I thought it was great. It's just one of those series mm-hmm. that I think, you know, I like to kind of let a series get a little further in uh, before I jump into it when it comes to Marvel, because I personally am more of a DC mm-hmm. guy. Um but I've heard great things about it. I read a few issues and what I saw, I really liked. Um, but, you know, in terms of the the nominations really fast, you know, Nice House on the Lake is this really surprising, twisted kind of horror story about the end of the world and what that looks like. And it's not your typical end of the world story, which I really appreciate. Um, mm-hmm. Philadelphia by Rodney Barnes is also another horror series. I don't know why. I guess there's a trend right now in comics where everybody wants to be scared. 
Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I've heard this thing where like, it's because a lot of people have like anxiety. And so the best way to experience like dealing with anxiety is put yourself through something like scary at home, you know, where you have your right. blanket and your snacks. So you're like, okay, I'm actually yeah. okay. But you know, I'm terrifying <laughs> myself right now. So I've, I think that might be kind of why it's like that. Especially in comics, like it makes sense to, if you're somebody that you don't enjoy horror, you have a little bit more control of like how those jump scares get at you, yeah. you know, in the, in the sense that one, they're not existent because you control how you see the page and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, like I'm not a horror fan at all whatsoever, but last year I, and even this year I, I uh, reviewed the harrower from, I think boom studios, yeah, if I, I remember correctly. Boom. Yeah. And, um, it was a fantastic series. Like I love the, the art. I love the story. Again, I'm not a horror person by any means whatsoever, but that story is a is a horror genre, and it was fantastically done. I absolutely loved it. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a big thing right now. A lot of people are looking into like diving to different kinds of genres and comics just to kind of spread out the kinds of things that they can write about and all that. So, um, yeah. So anyway, sorry, Seth. Go ahead and continue. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, no, I, I actually saw that a couple of the reviews you had read on the Hero because I was curious on it. Yeah, from. From what I heard, it's it's a great series. I don't know if it's done yet, but um, yeah, Boom Studios. It is done, yeah. They finished that up, yeah. Okay, perfect, yeah. Boom Studios definitely loves to produce horror comics. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. why, again. That's just their thing. Uh, but Philadelphia <laughs> is also a great series for anybody who hasn't checked it out. I mean, it's, it's basically about vampires in Philadelphia, and you find out that some of the forefathers of the United States were vampires, and you learn about the entire intricacy of starting point of founding fathers to kind of, you know, where we are now with modern day society with vampires and kind of seeing the sort of uh, tension and issues. You know, there's a lot of uh, it's a very it's a very politically heavy book. I will say that, you know, so somebody who isn't aware of right. that going in might want to be aware of that. Um, right. But, you know, as a series is phenomenal. Rodney Barnes is actually doesn't just write comics. He also writes like TV shows and stuff like that. So he's, he's all over the mm-hmm. place. Um, Department of truth again by James Tynan. That one's about conspiracies. Daredevil. I was surprised. Didn't win. My gut tells me <laughs> it's going to win next year because it's wrapping up. Right. So that's, right. that's, that's my sneaky suspicion. But in terms of Nightwing, um, yeah, that series has been great. Uh, Tom Taylor, I think, is doing this thing where he's kind of taking a hero, taking a lot of the criticisms mm-hmm. of superheroes, right? You know, right. Do, they have money. Why don't they help more people? He's answering that question. You know, there's there's systemic mm-hmm. issues in, you know, the criminal justice system. He's addressing how do you ta- tackle that on? Um, and so there's this right. kind of emphasis on having this kind of positive spin you know, it's basically like happy Batman, you know, with all of the, all of the tools, all of the skills, uh, but none of the, you know, broodingness. Um, so it, right. it, it has a lot of lighthearted <laughs> moments. Um, and I know we're going to talk into, you know, other, other ways in which Nightwing won. Um, but for right. sure, it's definitely one of those series that anybody who hasn't read it, it's a great time to pick it up. It's just a fun book. Like it has its elements right. that I think are important to talk about, but it's also a really fun book. And my guess is the reason why Nightwing probably won out over Daredevil is that they were probably tied Mm -hmm. down to the wire. But if you think about Daredevil, 
always sells, right? Because it's a class A, you know, type of hero or A-list type of hero. Um, not that Nightwing isn't, but Nightwing for DC Comics isn't at the same level as like what Daredevil is from Marvel Comics. And my guess is, is that because Nightwing was probably one that was, you know, kind of a series that was beloved, but was taken up to the next level by Tom Taylor. That's probably why I won is because it's like, yeah, Chip Zdarsky did a fantastic job at Daredevil and, and upped it that much. But my guess is that Tom Taylor, um, excuse me, and Bruno Redondo, you know, just elevated that much more for having a character that didn't have as much of that street cred as Daredevil had for Marvel Comics. So that that's just my guess. I'm not entirely sure. So, but yeah, yeah so we'll fair. see next year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil has been great. I know you've been reading it. What, mm-hmm. how, how's it been so far now that it's getting close to the end? Yeah, so I have not read the last couple of issues because I've been falling behind really bad on my weekly polls and all that. But it's, it's, I mean, Chip writes the craziest stuff and it makes it work so phenomenally mm-hmm. well. And Daredevil is, you know, just proof of that. It's, it's one of those things where it's not the usual Daredevil stuff you get. Like there is, but there isn't at the same time. He adds another layer of things that we haven't seen before that kind of adds to the lore of Daredevil, but doesn't really change or negates anything, which I find that to be very difficult for something like Marvel and DC. If you can pull that off, then you're doing a pretty good job with it. But I mean, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to love Daredevil and anything whatsoever. So if you're going to ask me about my honest opinion about Daredevil, I'm going to tell you that I'm going to tell you, like, it might not be what you think because I'm always going to love Daredevil no matter what. So, um, all right. So next category, best limited series. One uh, was won by Tom King and Greg Smallwood for the human target. They're up against Animal Castle by Xavier Dorison and Felix Dalip, which, again, probably didn't pronounce that correctly. So I apologize. Batman One Bad Day, edited by Dave uh, Will Gauze and Jessica Burbe. Uh, Miracle Man by Guyman and Buckingham. The Silver Age by Neil Guyman and Mark Buckingham. And Superman Space Age by Mark Russell, Michael Alfred, or I'm sorry, Michael Allred and Laura Allred from DC Comics. Uh, Seth, did you get a chance to read The Human Target? You know, I didn't, but I do see that you have it behind you. So I'm curious to know your thoughts. I do. Yeah. So this is actually something that I did not get into until I had Anthony Bergamini, another fellow uh, comic watcher on the show to do a review. And he suggested the series. And I'm like, I keep hearing people talk about it. And, uh, it didn't really have a whole lot of interest to me. I was like, but if he's suggesting it, let's go ahead and read it. I couldn't put the book down. Like it was one of those few things where it's like after I read that first issue, like I wanted to read, you know, issue after issue to Finish the whole story because, again, it's a limited series, so you know there's going to be an end. Mm-hmm. Um, but the writing was phenomenal. And I'll say this. Tom King is hit or miss for me. There are some Tom yeah. King works. I'm like, this is absolutely brilliant. This is a great story. And there's some I was just like, what the hell did I just read? You know, and so it's always kind of hit or miss. Um, but the artwork was just so well done from a number of different things. So, first of all, if you like the classic 60s, 70s spy kind of style and feel, that's that's exactly what Greg Smallwood captures in this, but also modernizes the artwork as well, too. Um, but it's definitely by far one of my favorite stories that came out from last year and this year as well. Um, so it did not surprise me by any means that it won Best Limited Series because 
It was just so well done. It was so talked about in the comics community in terms of how great of a story it was. It's a character that doesn't have a whole lot of their own stories out there. Like if you look at the human target and do a search for it, they only have like a few, um, I think of its own stories and a few appearances. So the fact that they took a character that a lot of people didn't know about and just absolutely crushed it is, you know, tells you like how high of a quality that story is. So if you haven't read it, definitely check it out. It's definitely worth your time and investment, whether you go out and buy it or if you see if your library has it or somebody, you know, lends it to you. That's definitely one I would say that you want to read because it is so well done. Yeah, I've heard great things about that one. And, and you know, I'm, I'm in the same camp as you about Tom King. I feel like, you know, sometimes he can be a little heavy handed and kind of what I'm supposed to be feeling in a scene. You know, mm-hmm. um, but I heard that Human Target, you know, is phenomenal. And I agree with with the artwork. Um, like I said, I haven't had a chance to read it. But when you flip through the, the pages, I mean, there was so, so many images I saw that looked like a vintage ad um, that I yes. thought was really cool and really well done. Because I think, you know, if you can take a comic, have a complete story and then have mm-hmm. art that kind of feels timeless, you know, that really sets it apart from you know, other stories, because again, you have to think about, am I going to want to reread this again? Right. If it's an ongoing series, I may go back and read a certain arc. Right. But if it's a self-contained story, like you said, you know, that's something you can read over and over again, you know, go in with a different lens, recommend it to people Mm -hmm. and say, Hey, it's only X number of issues. How many issues was it? Was it only like 12? It was only 12. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And and you knew it was 12 because, Every issue kind of said that, you know, I have like 12 days left to live. I have 11 days left to live because the whole premise is that the human target, which the character's name is escaping me right now. So I apologize. But it pretty much opens up every issue by kind of telling you what has happened so far and how many days he has left to live because he got poisoned, um, you know, at the beginning of the issue or at the beginning of the series. And so every issue opens up with let me get you caught up and does it like in like one or two pages, does it very well and then tells you like how many days he has left to live. And it's like, you know, 12 days basically so you go through each day that he has remaining until he dies at the end spoiler <laughs> but it's been out um, for a while y'all if you haven't had a chance i know it's been out for a while <laughs> if you know shoot me a dm if i really made you upset by that i apologize um i don't think it was any secret though but i'll say this is that you know i really hope he comes back you know it's a great character it's a comics um, world right i mean like you know they can know, easily yeah. bring someone back and, <laughs> and it's been out long enough i feel like if you haven't been spoiled by now just so you know bruce willis was a ghost and titanic failed after the expert, <laughs> you know <laughs> oh my gosh yeah oh my gosh let's just get them all um, out of the way yeah yeah <laughs> um i will say this this is what's really interesting then we'll move on to the next category is that one of the nominees, Batman One Bad Day, was listed as a best limited series. I got to say, I that's one that complexed me a lot because it wasn't really a series other than the central theme was it's about a villain of Batman that had a bad day. But the stories don't really tie together at all whatsoever. You know, like yeah. that was only the only common theme was that it's kind of a, this specific style, but they were all kind of like their own like one shots basically. Mm -hmm. 
And so to call this a limited series, I would not have said it's a limited series because it doesn't tie in together at all the way that a limited series usually does. And so I was really complex. Like I kind of see how someone may, may have made the argument for it, but at the same time, it's like, but it's not, it's not a single story told in different, you know, issues or anything like that. Like it's, it wasn't like that at all. So it was kind of a weird nomination for me. Like, and again, I love the series. I think it was a great series and all that. I just wouldn't count it as like a limited series and that they all held together. So, um, Going to the next category. This is the last one for our Patreon voted uh, category. Best new series. The winner was Public Domain by Chip Zdarsky from Image Comics. Went up against The Atonement Bell by Jim Oosley and Tyler B. Ruff from Red 5. Love Everlasting by Tom King and Elsa uh, Chartier, I think is how to pronounce her name, uh, from Image Comics. Start. Yeah, okay. Um, Star Trek by Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing, and Ramon uh, Rosanas from IDW. And Traveling to Mars by Mark Russell and Roberto Mele from uh, Ablaze. Seth, did you get to read Public Domain by chance? So regarding Public Domain, it is on my to-read pile. Uh, I do have the first issue because uh, I wanted to get into <laughs> it because Chip Zdarsky is an amazing writer and also chip sadarsky is really funny so if y'all aren't following him on Substack, i highly recommend it he he, he just has like <laughs> this i think just kind of twisted kind of self-deprecating sense of humor um right like for example i think his most recent Substack he wrote not the one that just came out but like a few before that was like how he was an extra in X-Men randomly. He just felt like sharing that story. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and he's just such an interesting person that, you know, I it's it's a bummer that, um, you know, he didn't win for Best Writer because I also think he's phenomenal, but I'm so glad he won mm-hmm. for Public Domain. Um, I, I, did you get a chance to read it? I, I, I know what it's about, and I read the first issue, but I didn't get a chance to get past that. Yeah, so it's actually one, I can't remember... Well, I decided to get it, but I saw it come out in trade paperback form. And I've again, I've heard a lot of people say great things about it. So I just went ahead and, and bought it and read it earlier this year. And it's definitely one that I absolutely love that I recommend to people if they don't want to have a, another superhero story. Um, it's still a comic book story in the sense that it's it's kind of a meta story, right? It's about a writer who wrote a comic book like way back in the day and a company owns the rights to that and are making like, you know, how much money off of the character that this person wrote. And it's centered around the son of that writer who is trying to get, um, fair pay and stuff like that for his dad. And his dad like was just like, you know, I was just happy to do it and everything. And so one of the things that's great about Chip Zdarsky's work is that he can really take a complex emotion or experience from a person and make a character out of that. And that's exactly what this book was about. It was pretty much taking the various experiences and emotions that a comic book writer might feel and express that through different characters. And so, you know, having that, you know, I'm just happy to be doing this sort of thing is expressing the dad. And then the frustration of, you know, the comics writer getting, you know, cheated out of the money that this multi-billion dollar corporation which okay it's a commentary on warner brothers and disney right like let's not kid ourselves that's exactly what it is is how they own those rights and they're making a bunch of money off of it and they're not paying you know look at that they're not you know making fair pay for the people who help you know create those stories and things like that and they're they're 
they made better strides, but they still have longer strides to go in this day and age. But that story of public domain was just a really fun one. Is that it's a very a meta way of thinking about as a commentary on the industry now. But it's very heartfelt and emotional, and it really focuses on the relationship between the son and father as well. So it's it's definitely one where if you don't want a traditional story of the superhero in a comic book, but you want to have something that might be a little bit familiar as a commentary on the industry itself, like this is a great one that also, you know, it really highlights a relationship between the father and son very well, too. So it's it's definitely deserving of a best new series. Um, and I'm glad to see that they create a best new series and nominate people of like series that weren't like existing. Right. Because sometimes a new series can just be like, you know, they started a number one issue or whatever, you know, so yeah. that's like a best new series that can be nominated, even though the character has been around for a long time. You know, because it has like a number one issue that restarts the whole thing, like it's considered a new series. So it was nice to see that the winner was an actual new series and not one that just happened to start with a number one issue. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, you know, with public domain, I feel like it, it talks about a real problem that, like you said, has gotten better in the comic books industry, but also was mm. a very big problem. Um, I know we'll, we might have time to, to talk about the uh, Bill Finger Award, but, you know, Bill Finger was the co-creator of Batman and created all right. the elements that people love about Batman. But everybody remembers yes. Bob Kane. So his granddaughter, uh, Athena Finger, um, who actually, you know, was kind enough to be interviewed for Comic Watch, uh, and I was able to talk with her. She gives out the Bill Finger Award every year, and I even messaged her on Instagram saying, hey, you know, uh, Hope San Diego Comic-Con was great. Did you get a chance to give out the Bill Finger Award this year? And she's like, yeah, I did. I was super excited. Um, but that award is really important. And we'll, we, if we have time, we'll talk about that more later. But it yeah. recognizes creators in the comic book industry who didn't get proper recognition in the past, right? Not just mm -hmm. in terms of creator credit, but also financially. Um, you know, and so I'm glad Chip Zdarsky, you know, is leveraging the fact that he's such a skilled writer is such a powerhouse mm -hmm. person in the comic book community right now um, to create public domain. Um, Cause when I read kind of the synopsis, I was like, yeah, this is an important story that I kind of think needs to be standard reading for most comic book fans, if not all, cause it's an important topic mm -hmm. that I think everybody takes for granted um, in the mm -hmm. families of those people who help create, certain major characters, you know, that are owned, like you said, by Warner Brothers and Disney, uh, you know, those yeah. families look at it and they're like, well, yeah, I'm frustrated because, you know, and family member of mine didn't get credit. So, yeah, I'm glad right. I'm glad you liked it. Uh, I'm looking forward to reading it. So I'll definitely have to bump that up on my uh, to read pile for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I agree completely. It's definitely there, there's a reason why I won Best New Series. And I haven't read the other four that was nominated, but I mean, I'll be honest, like it. It's I'm just not surprised that it won that because it was really, you know, well done for a number of reasons. So for sure. Um, so those were our five categories that our Patreons um, have voted for the topics that we should talk about. Um, we also had some categories that we want to touch on. But um, again, we want to, you know, not make this a very, very long episode either. And we're, you know, I think we're coming up to almost an hour right now. But um, let's do this, Seth. Um, you and I both had categories that we wanted to cover. How about we each choose one 
to uh, talk about. And then we'll also make sure that we hit the Bill Finger Award winners and the Russ Manning Best Newcomer Award as well, too. How does that sound? Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, I'd like to talk about Best Short Story. Um, which one did you want to cover? Actually, that was the one I wanted to cover as well, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> so- I'll, take, I'll take Best... I'll take best cover artist then. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and start with um, with your pick then, Seth, is best cover artist. Yeah. So best cover artist went to Bruno Redondo for the Nightwing series. Um, again, that series has been phenomenal from a storytelling perspective. Also, like you said, it's bringing Nightwing to the forefront. Um, I think DC is really wanting Nightwing to be kind of more of a household name. Um, and mm-hmm. so with that being said, one thing I love is they are letting Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo just have some creatively fun moments in that series. Uh, like you said, mm-hmm. there was a point of view issue. There was also an issue that was entirely meant to look like one continuous scene um, that they did. Mm-hmm. But one thing that they've also been doing is Bruno Redondo is having a lot of fun with the covers. And so some of them have been, memes that you've probably seen before like the group of guys that's like one of them's like oh um they did that you know (laughs) with nightwing and all the other titans behind him um and just every single cover is just phenomenal i mean it it really is a reminder you know that comics are a fusion of words and art Mm. you know and so bruno redondo's art is just you know chef's kiss it's amazing yeah yeah well and and the people he went up against were really household names as well too mm-hmm. so jim bartle was nominated for her work on she hulk which her art i'm i'm a huge fan of her art and she I, I saw that she tweeted out a while back that she mostly does cover art because that's the one that unfortunately is more consistent and higher paid to do cover art than the interior stuff which i found that like really uh informative because i guess i never really realized that but she said it's more consistent in terms of they'll guarantee pay and they ask for it like in advance and stuff like that and i guess that's kind of a different story for interior artists uh, depending on where you're at in the in the industry um he was also up against alex ross for astro city which i'll say this i know alex ross is a huge powerhouse name i know so many people love alex ross I recognize that his art is really, really good. It just doesn't, you know, strike me as interesting to me, you know. And and again, I recognize that his art is, is well done and that it, it's truly one of the best out there. It's just when I look at it, I don't feel, you know, <laughs> as much as like what other people do, you know. So, yeah, um, Alex Ross tends to he does really great portraits. Um, right. But. I think the reason why, again, Bruno Redondo run one is because he's taking risks. You know, Jen, right. Bartel, Jen Bartel's art is also phenomenal. I've seen different covers that she's done, and they're also stellar. But there's just something about those Nightwing covers. You know, they're they're all unique. They're all fresh. And, and so when you're thinking about best cover, yeah, you kind of want something that's going to stand out on a shelf. And Bruno Redondo kind of does that. Yeah. Well, in the, in the covers, again, when people talk about Nightwing, they always talk about it per issue, which is why it won, uh, won the awards there. But the cover art is something that people talk about just as much as what happens in the story mm-hmm. as well, too. Just like what you said, for a number of reasons. And so, um, again, I have not read any of the Nightwing stuff. I've seen the covers and... I'm like, those are really phenomenal and really well done, um, especially the one with with Batgirl. And I always find that the one with Batgirl is really 
compelling and interesting to me for whatever reason. And so um, especially the one, you know, again, this was from, I think, earlier this year. So it wasn't in consideration for the award this year. But the one where him and Batgirl on on top of like a uh, radio tower or something like that, mm-hmm. and they're like looking out. The coloring with the sun was phenomenal and the shading with the coloring of um, the different kinds of hues that he used for, you know, the part of them that's in the light and then the part of them that's in the shadow. Like it's just really well done. So whether it's it's a meme that he did or just really genuine, unique, original art, it's definitely hands down really worthy of winning that award this year. For sure. Yeah. Um, and then the other category that we want to talk about is the one that I know everybody's been talking about since it got released on print is best short story one by finding Batman that was written by Kevin Conroy. And I think the art was done by Jay bone and DC pride 2022 last year. Mm-hmm. Um, it was up against beekeepers do uh, good morning, silent all these years and you get it. Um, I'll be honest. Like those are ones I have not heard of or read. Um, again, because these are stories that I'm not currently reading, but I read Finding Batman and DC Pride, and it is a moving story that I think touched a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. You know, for people of, of my generation, I think you, your generation as well, too, Seth. I don't want to assume anything, but Kevin Conway is the Batman for a lot of people um, growing up. And to hear his story about how he became Batman and how it actually helped him through a lot of different things I experienced, um, you know, coming out. And when he was younger, like it was just so awe-inspiring that the story itself was great the artwork was done very well to reflect that tone and that story that they were capturing but it's just it's it was just phenomenal to read that i think touched a lot of people's hearts and um you know unfortunately you know that came out around the time that he passed away from cancer um so you know he didn't get to accept the award uh, this year obviously but i think that we can all appreciate the contribution that he has made, like that being one of the last things that he's contributed to the world of comics by telling his story of how he became Batman and how inspiring that is, was, you know, probably one of the best things that anyone could really provide the world, you know, before they go out. And so it's just, it's a phenomenal story. Absolutely love it. You can probably find it somewhere. Um, if you don't have a copy of that or your local comic shop doesn't have a copy of that, you can probably find a library or find it somewhere, but it's a, it's a really well done story. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I agree, you know, uh, when I first read the story, I think he, he hadn't really announced that he had cancer yet, but you know, it was already right. great, but I think especially now that he unfortunately passed away, um, like you said, mm-hmm. you know, that, that story means a lot to a lot of different people because, you know, I, I heard somebody say at one time that, you know, if somebody is a firefighter for 30 years, they're a firefighter, right? right? If somebody, you know, is a teacher for 30 years, they're a teacher. And Kevin Conroy yeah. in multiple different formats voiced Batman. So for a lot of us, yep. you know, he was Batman. So hearing the yep. passing of Kevin Conroy really did feel like Batman's gone. Um, yeah. You know, and I think, you know, this work, um, like you said, it was an important story for him to tell, uh, you know, because I think up until recently, he really wasn't comfortable talking about, you know, his sexuality, his partner, anything. Um, right. You know, and to be able to be the voice of, you know, the brooding Cape Crusader, but also he is comfortable in the skin that he in, he's in 
you know, is inspiring, you know, for anybody, you know, who, who feels mm-hmm. awkward or who, you know, is struggling with something or, you know, learning to embrace part of their identity. That's really important. And so, you know, for him to tell this story, I think was, was really beautiful. And it was definitely a, a clear winner. I think if Kevin yeah. Conroy didn't win, I think there would have been a lot of upset people. Um, oh yeah. Not just because the story was great, but also just because, you know, of his critical role, um, because for a lot of comic book creators, some who have been mm-hmm. nominated and probably will get nominated, they will say, how did you get into comics? And they will say Batman the Animated Series. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's that's the case here. Whenever I ask people what their comic book origin story is, um, it always comes down to for the majority of people, two things. It's either somebody introduced them to a comic mm-hmm. or one of these two shows got them into comics, Batman, the animated series or X-Men, the animated series. Mm -hmm. And like, again, because of, you know, people, our generation, like those are the ways that you got into comics for a lot of people, because it was definitely accessible that that is how they got into it. And you'll hear people say when they read a Batman comic, they're hearing Kevin Conway's voice in their head as they're reading it, you know? So his impact is very profound and powerful. It's long reaching for a number, a number of years to come. Um, but I think this story just makes everything about that character so much more meaningful because of how somebody who never grew up with Batman came into this role and somehow learned about that dual nature of being someone that you're not in order to do something like how he was able to transform that character in terms of what that means and apply it in a larger, you know, perspective than just like, I'm going to become a symbol to, you know, fight, you know, criminals and things like that. But it was something that he could relate to because of a different way of thinking about that. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a, it's a, it's definitely a different way of looking at that character and how someone can relate to that character um, in a different way that people may have not really experienced before because of him being able to share that story. For sure. hundred percent. Yeah. So, all right. So those are the main categories on touch base on um, real quick. There are, there are other awards that were given besides these. Um, and the ones that we wanted to touch base on is the Bill Finger Award mm-hmm. winners, which Seth, I'll let you talk about that one. And then I will talk a little bit about the Russ Manning Best Newcomer Award as well, too. So do you want to talk about what the Bill Finger Award is and um, and who won this year for that? Yeah. So uh, like I had mentioned earlier, the Bill Finger Award um, was created because Bill Finger wasn't properly given credit uh, until decades and decades after um, his work was essentially done. Uh, and he unfortunately right. passed before he ever received credit. And so um, on behalf of his granddaughter, uh, Athena Fingers, she, and with the help of a reporter and, uh, excuse me, a writer, um, were able to get Bill Finger the recognition. And so because of that, the Bill Finger Award is to take time to honor individuals who had contributions into the comic book community um, most of them are typically from years back. Um, so for example, mm-hmm. this year, the recipients were Sam Glansman and Barbara Friedlander. Um, both of their, right. their respective works, I believe they're both artists. Um, or I believe Sam is an artist and I believe Barbara might be a writer actually. Um, but both of them have had impacts into the comic book world from years back. Um, you know, before mm. you had your standard Spider-Man, X-Men, all that. These were individuals participating in the medium. 
And so, you know, for them to get the award, kudos to them, because again, it's all about giving them credit that they didn't get, you know, back when they were working on those, uh, you know, different, different comics. And so, you know, it's a great, it's a great award to receive. Um, you know, so every time somebody gets it, you know, take a minute, see who they were, learn about them. Cause that's really what it's about. Right. Agreed. Yes. And, and for those of you who are interested, um, there's a documentary that talks about the history of Bill Finger and, you know, bringing that to light is I think the movie's called Batman and Bill. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. It's really well done. I think it's on Hulu, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. or at least it used to be. That's how I saw that. Um, but it's very well done. And and it's definitely the reason why we know who Bill Finger is and why you see more credit is given to him, like moving forward, even in movies. Um, it used to be, you know, Batman created by Bob Kane. So if you watch a 1989 movie like that is in there. But now when you watch any sort of movie or TV show that has Batman and it, it'll say created by Batman or created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. And so, um, yeah, so it's great that they have awards to recognize those that made those contributions. Um, the last category I want to touch base on is the Russ Manning Best Newcomer Award, which they've been giving this award out to uh, people, I think, since its inception. Um, the winner this year is Zoe Thorogood, which I found it interesting because Zoe was actually nominated for five different awards, which is the most of any individual. I think this year or maybe in a long time, too. I don't, I don't know if it's if anyone individual had more in a single year, but she was nominated in five different categories, didn't win any of those categories. And so I, my guess is they wanted to give her best newcomer because she's blowing it out of the water. Like I I, I read her work. um it's lonely at the center of the earth last night because I was really interested in seeing her work because uh, I've heard great things about it. She be, she was nominated for five categories. She won the best newcomer. So I was really curious and I'll be honest, like her work is definitely something to check out. Um, when I read like the first quarter of that book, it was a little odd to me because it's not something that you usually see in other comics. But by the time you get to the end of it, it is a beautiful piece of art of a different way of telling stories and drawing stories in the comics medium that I think we're all going to you know keep an eye out for whenever Zoe's name shows up on a comic. You know that it's going to be um, something worthwhile to read, uh, whether she's a writer or an artist. And so... Um, I find it unfortunate that she didn't win any of the categories that she was nominated for. My guess is, you know, they gave her a newcomer, not because of a consolation prize necessarily, but I think, you know, they know that, you know, for her to come out, like, you know, just be a breakout star and be nominated for five categories and unfortunately, you know, didn't win. I think it was just like, you know, if they didn't give her best newcomer, like hell would have broken loose, you know? Um, but it's definitely something to check out. If you haven't read out like any of her works again, she was nominated in five different categories, read any of them. It's, it's definitely something to check out. So, um, so those are the Eisner awards for 2023. As always, we're going to wrap up our episode with the comics we're reading. But first, just a reminder, this show is part of Comic Watch, and we do reviews on comics, TV, films, and we're always looking for writers. So if you are somebody that's interested in writing or want to get started with writing reviews, definitely check out the show notes below. We have a link to the application for you to apply to be a writer for Comic Watch. We're always accepting applications. It takes us about a week to get back to you. Um, so 
If you're interested, check out the link in the show notes. Next week's episode, we're going to be reviewing Spider-Man Life Story with Comic Watch uh, reviewer Aaron Kleinman. So I'm really excited to have him on the show to talk about and review Spider-Man Life Story, which is also written from Chip Zdarsky as well. Um, so let's go into the comics that we're currently reading. So let me just start off by saying that the last few weeks uh, episodes, we haven't announce what other people are reading because I've had to record those ahead of time so I didn't get to include those so I'm going to go ahead and share with everybody um, some of the things that people have shared what they're reading for the past few weeks so starting off with our comic watch community Anthony Bergamini said that he just read some of George Perez's Wonder Woman Jurassic League indie wise he started reading Coda which I gotta say like Jurassic League does not appeal to me but I've heard so many people say that Jurassic League is actually a fantastic story have you read any of the Jurassic League stuff, Seth? I'm about halfway through. Uh, I believe it's by Daniel Warren Johnson. I think the only way I can describe right. it is that's one of those comics that's so outrageous that you really just <laughs> need to kind of put on like a heavy metal album and just like yeah. read it like as if you're just like rage reading. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's just wild, but it actually works. The art is a little weird. I will give you that. Um <laughs> But well, you're 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 drawing dinosaurs that's wearing superhero outfits. I mean, like it's yeah. it's going to be difficult, right? I mean, yeah, but I mean, we're, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's also like that's so awesome if you think about it. You know, I mean, how do we know dinosaurs do have superhero outfits? You know, we just learned that they have feathers. <laughs> True, yeah. Um, B-Rat said that they're reading the post-crisis Batman main titles, um, said Batman slash tech, and just got to the Wagner Grant uh, Ray Fogel era of Detective uh, 583 and the early Starlin Aparo run of Batman 416. And these are two of his favorite runs on the post-crisis Batman. Should be required reading for anyone who calls themselves a fan. Also attempting to read the current volume of Spider-Man, which Anthony Bergamini actually shared and said that uh, he pities <laughs> B-Rats for that. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I've heard about the current Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it's um, – I actually enjoyed the Spider-Man, the current Spider-Man run. Um, it's the amazing Spider-Man that I've heard a lot of people had yeah. a lot of issues yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. So That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then Gabriel Deazus said, just read through all four volumes of the manga, I Think Our Son is Gay, and is just the sweetest, quickest read ever. Reads like a hug. It's a story about a mom just growing through, uh, just going through her love of her son, who's pretty sure is gay, and he's really bad at hiding it. So, um, I have not heard of that one. I am not into manga as much as I'd like to be, but that is something I'll probably definitely check out uh, once I get to a point where I can actually start reading manga and not have to be overwhelmed with the amount of comics I have to read. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Uh, and our Discord uh, server, the Illumina Casters, which, again, if you're interested in joining other people to talk about a lot of different nerdy and geeky stuff, I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Um, but Otto uh, No Better <laughs> said, latest GN Library checkout is Teen Titans Raven from Kami Garcia and Gabriel Piccolo. Uh, you're the collector said, I'm trying to get caught up with all the White Knight back issues. Sean Murphy and company have been creating one of his favorite universes. And Kim from the ODPH podcast 
podcast said Rogue and Gambit from Marvel getting caught up on the iconic X-Men couple's latest tale before the next issue on July 12th. And this is coming out way after that. So that tells you how long ago this was. But Rogue and Gambit is a fantastic read as well, too. I haven't read some of the other ones listed here, but Rogue and Gambit, I'm absolutely loving. I think it's a it's a great series from Stephanie Phillips. It's 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 fantastic. So. Uh, so thank you everybody for sharing what you're currently reading. Seth, uh, do you want to share with us uh, what you're currently reading? And if you want to, I know I didn't get a chance to tell you this ahead of time, so I apologize. But if you want to share whatever comics that you're going to be reviewing for Comic Watch as well, too, so that way people can keep an eye out for that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so the main series that I, I've been following uh, as a reviewer for Comic Watch has been Something is Killing Children. Um, issue 31 just came out this past week. Um, I thought it was really great. Uh, the something is killing the children series. It has like, it's been a little bit of a slow burn lately. And so it was kind of mm-hmm. nice to see the, the action pick back up, the tension pick back up. That's again by James Tynan. It's a horror series. The title doesn't give yeah. it away. Um, but you know, it, it's definitely a really well done series. One of the coolest character designs. It's very simple. You know, they have masks or bandanas with teeth on them. It's just really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but what I also started jumping back into was uh, Radiant Black. Um, the, oh, the, okay, yeah. I think it's the Cata- Catalyst War or Cataclysmic yes, War. Yes, the Catalyst War. Yeah, Catalyst yep. War, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I thought, you know what? I'm going to jump back into the series. And it's always been a series that I really enjoyed. It was a fun read. Um, you know, don't take it too seriously. And, and jumping back into issue 25, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm glad I'm jumping back in. I'm like, I, I feel like I missed a chunk of it. But issue mm-hmm. 25 came out this past week as well. For those of you who don't know, it's kind of like Power Rangers. It's made by Image. The guy who writes right. it used to write Power Rangers. If you like <laughs> yeah. Power Rangers in any capacity, just give mm-hmm. it a shot. Um, there's a lot that's relatable for millennials struggling today is all I would say. <laughs> uh, and a whole yeah. different host of different characters. So that's those are really right. the two big series that I've been kind of leaning into there's others that I review as well, but those are the two big ones that I kind of want to give a shout out for this episode. Yeah, definitely. And well, and, and uh, uh, radiant black is definitely a great series It's part of the black market narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know what, what you would call it necessarily, but like story frame that they do. So, you know, in addition to that, they also have uh radiant pink uh, storylines, infernal girl red, um, who is no one like a, a whole series of, uh, issues that oh what's the other oh rogue son is another one mm-hmm. as well too that are kind of part of this universe and they all tie in um not to the like the same extent as like what you see in marvel and dc necessarily but they're in the same universe and there are some tie-in um, issues that they have mm-hmm. um and it's a really fun series i'll be honest i enjoy radiant black and think it's a great series um i also love who is no one i think who who is no one's fantastic for a number of reasons um some of the other ones i haven't quite clicked with like radiant pink and rogue sun are ones that i haven't really you know enjoyed as much like they're okay they're just not ones that i'm like i need to read the next issue infernal go red was phenomenal i absolutely love that one i think it's a fantastic story as well too so from from that black market narrative uh world that they created Radiant Black is definitely one of my favorite ones. My favorite one is who is who is no one, and Infernal Go Red is a very good one as well too. So yeah, definitely check those out. I agree. So and and I'm glad that you're reviewing those, Seth, because you write some great reviews. Oh, and thank you. Uh, yeah, likewise, <laughs> likewise. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, for me, so here's what I'm picking up this week on my poll list is Batman, the Brave and Bold, number three, Daredevil and Echo, number three. Again, I'm a huge Daredevil fan, so I'm going to pick that up. Uh, Tales from Nottingham, number six, which is from Mad Cave Studios. Um, it is a spinoff series from the Nottingham series that was written by David Hazan, who's been on the show a couple of times uh, to talk about this series. And so these are like spinoff issues that people have been writing based on that series, which I think is a really cool idea. And I absolutely love it. Um, and also picking up Teenage Unions and Turtles Saturday Morning Adventures Continued issue number three. Um, and then for Comic Watch this week, I am reviewing World Tree 33 issue number four, which I've never reviewed before. So I'm actually going to go back and read the previous three issues so I know what's going on when I review um, issue number four. Click, click, boom, number two, which both of those are from Image Comics. And I'm also going to be reviewing Berserker Poetry Madness number one from Boom Studios. All these are actually brand new comics that I'm going to be reviewing for the first time. So it'll be interesting to see after reading them what I think of these. And um, can't wait to share with you all what, what I think and see if you agree or not. So, yeah, yeah, World Tree, I'm excited to know your opinion. That is a that is also a Tynan book. And that one is that was a little weird. A little weird. It, so. it looks it looks weirdly interesting. Like I'll say yeah. that. Like the covers are weird, mm-hmm. but it's done in a way where you're just like, I want to know what's going on in this. You know, like because it's so weird. Um, I did read the first issue, and I really enjoyed the first issue. It reminds me of that movie Hackers from the nineties. You remember that movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that because they talk about like this, you know, dark, dark web type of thing mm-hmm. and, and people getting into stuff. As all. So it kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Um, but I haven't read anything since the first issue. So I'm going to reread that one and two and three and see what four is all about. But it's definitely if you haven't seen any of the issues, the issues are definitely um weirdly interesting it is not kid friendly at all so no. do not look for it while you have kids around yeah, no, for sure not at all. <laughs> um yeah and, and some of the variant covers are definitely not it's definitely you know mature rating as well too but um yeah then click click boom i've i've heard of but not much about so like i really enjoy reading issues and reviewing issues of ones i have no preconceived notion about so if i'm currently reading something i don't review them for comic watch because i don't want to review a book and then pick up the issue on my pull list and like never open it because I want to open that book. So I'm always looking for issues that I'm probably never read because those are the ones I find out like this is a great story. Then I end up picking up that one because I'm like, this is fantastic. Otherwise, I never would read them. Right. If it wasn't for Comic Watch, I wouldn't read some of these stories that I find out are actually fantastic stories, but never would give them a chance because it didn't really entice me at the beginning. You know, like the Joker, the man who stopped laughing. That's a prime example. I don't read any Joker solo stories, but I reviewed that for Comic Watch. Absolutely love it. Like it's one of my favorite <laughs> stories out there right now. Yeah, I heard so. it's great. I heard it's great. Oh, my gosh, man. It is so like it is just so good. Like the art is good. The story is good. Like it has no business of being that good, man. It just doesn't. And it's phenomenal. It's just it, I, I I look forward to that. Every time I see it on my pull list, I'm like, yes, I am making sure nothing's going to stop me from getting to my shop on Wednesday because I need to get that and read that. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Seth, thank you for joining the show to review the winners of the Eisner Awards this year. Before I let you go, where can people find you and your work online? So uh, really, the big area I'm at is Instagram. Uh, It's pages Mm -hmm. and panels with underscores in between. Uh, Somebody unfortunately stole my handle before I could get to it. So if you look for pages and panels, I'm not the one without spaces. I'm the one with the, you know, underscore. So pages, underscore, and underscore panels. 
Um, right. And so really Instagram is the main way to find me. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I don't use it. Um, you can follow me on threads. <laughs> I don't use it. You can follow. It me. might be called X by the time that this oh, episode comes out. Yeah. Now. You can yeah. follow me on blue sky. <laughs> I may not use it, uh, but pages and pedals, a common one. Just, just follow me on Instagram. I mean, comic books yeah. are a visual medium. So I'm like, Instagram's a right. great place to go. So that's where they can follow right. me. Yeah. And, and thank you again for, for having me on this episode. It was great to talk about the Eisner Awards, a lot of great nominations and, Again, if you, you know, haven't read anybody that we talked about, be sure to give them a look. For sure, yes. Well, thanks again, Seth. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. And that wraps up another episode of The Capsule Life. I hope you enjoyed listening, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button. You can follow us on social media at Capsule Life. And if you like what we're doing, give us a shout-out by tagging us in your post or send us a message. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, visit thecapsulelife.com. 